This is good old boy Mike from Sips, Suds, and Smokes podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. And now it's time for our feature presentation. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 234, Movie Monsters. Chris McBrien along with Derek Myers and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Since it's close to Halloween, Derek and I thought it might be fun to take a look back on some of our all-time favorite movie monsters. We're each going to run down our top five movie monsters this week. But before we get to our lists, Derek, what pop culture have you been able to take in since we last spoke, my friend? Hey, Chris. Well, I had a chance to uh, to watch something really good, something really crappy, and, of course, a bunch of documentaries. Oh, so Educate me uh, on all this pop culture, my I'm, I'm going to start with the bad. So, as I often do every week, <laughs> as the streaming services provide us with new content, mm-hmm. I take a look at what the new content is. And sometimes sure. you find a diamond in the rough, and sometimes you just find a big steaming pile of poo. <laughs> uh, this week... The big steaming pile of poo was on Netflix. It was a movie called Blackout, starring Josh Demel, who was in the TV series Las Vegas. He was also in the Transformers movie franchise as the military guy. And I thought, oh, here's this shoot 'em up movie where he's like, you know, this this guy who is attacked by drug dealers and loses his memory and wakes up in a hospital and has to fight his way out. And I thought, oh, okay, this could be a good shoot 'em up. I watched like ten or fifteen minutes. I'm like, this is awful. So I started fast forwarding to see if it looked like it got any better. Oh, no, it didn't. It didn't look like it got any better. So I'm like, that's it. Those 15 minutes of my life, I'm never getting back. I'm done. So Blackout on Netflix just dropped. Do not watch. Two giant thumbs down. Stinky, smelly pile of poo. Okay. Thank you for letting me know. All right. Like I was going to watch it anyway. Well, (laughs) now here's one you might have actually watched. Or at least you might have actually heard of that was excellent. From 1987. It's a movie called House of Games. Written and directed by David Mamet. Have you seen it? No. You I mean, okay, so if, if anybody knows 1987, I mean, like, I think it's me, but I don't know that movie. I'm not familiar with it. I know David Mamet. He was a playwright, but. Yes. I so this know. was his first movie. Okay. Uh, it was uh, based on a play. I believe it was based on a play that he uh, had some some writing credits on. Uh, it stars Joe Montaigne. Uh, the, the lead is Lindsay Krauss, uh, who is a performer. When I watched it, I was like, I recognize her. I recognize her. And I had to look up her IMDb. And I, I, nothing specific jumped out at me. It's just she's been in a lot of stuff. She's made a lot of TV appearances. But. Um, so she's the lead. Joe Montaigne is sort of the, the number two. It also has J.T. Walsh and uh, a few other sort of character actors that as I was watching, I'm like, oh, I recognize that guy. Oh, I recognize that person. And it's a uh, it's a movie about here. I'll just read you the IMDb description sure. here. It says a psychiatrist who, as I mentioned, is played by Lindsay Krauss. A psychiatrist comes to the aid of a compulsive gambler and is led by a smooth talking grifter into the shadowy but compelling world of stings, scams and con men. And it was great. It reminded me in a certain way of a movie like The Sting, 
where okay, yeah. it, it talks about that movie was good yeah i mean yeah. hey the sting is a 10 out of 10 movie this i would probably give like a 9 out of 10 though it was really very good and i, wow. I mean i'm a big fan of joe montagna uh he did a great job in this and and again it's about card players and gamblers and con men and scams and and tricking people and some of it they pull back the curtain for the audience to be completely in on it and other things are happening and the audience is not aware of it until things actually come to fruition so it's sort of both showing you some of the things as they happen and other ones you sort of hopefully are picking up on but also hopefully not picking up on because there's a lot of surprises in this movie it's fantastic it's uh, it's called house of games from 1987 I'd give it a nine out of 10. It was great. Uh, it's a, it's a hidden gem. And the reason I even looked for it was, uh, one of the other podcasts I, I listened to, they, they're big fans of David Mamet. So they're always talking about his work. And in a recent episode, they were talking about one of the guys said how this is one of his favorite all time movies. And I was like, Oh, when I saw it in the lineup, it was on one of the cable channels. I thought, Oh, there's that house of games again. So I, I recorded it. And yeah, I was very, very happy that I did. It was Joe okay. and Joe Montana was in Barry, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I think he showed yes, up. Yes, I think he played himself, actually. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. He was like, you know, friends with like the Henry Winkler character. Like, yeah. From yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, but anyway, so if you if you have a chance to watch House of Games from 1987, mm-hmm. it was great. You'll, uh, you, I think you'd really enjoy it, but I think a lot of our listeners would enjoy it cool. too. It starts, it's a little slow at the beginning, but that's just sort of the way that a lot of those 80s dramas are paced. So, uh, no, that was, so that was definitely my, uh, my, my excellent highlight of the week from, from scripted movies. And then I had a chance to watch a few documentaries. For 40 days and 40 nights, he watched documentaries. He likes to learn about the world. It's Derek's documentaries. Derek's documentaries. What did you learn about the world in your documentaries well, this week, my friend? Okay, so very much like the movies I just talked about, I, I saw one that one documentary that was pretty bad, and then I mm-hmm. saw a couple of really good ones. So I'll okay. start with the bad one. So right. again, they can't all be winners. Uh, and I want to say this one was on Netflix as well, and it's it's about black holes. It's called Black Holes: The Edge of All We Know. And hey, I'm a science nerd. I'm a NASA nerd. I like things about space and planets and space travel and science and discovery and all that stuff. So I thought, hey, let's let's see what this one's all about. Mm-hmm. I watched Sounds interesting. half an hour of this one and it was just so boring. Now, I'll, I'll be honest. There, there are some science documentaries where it's just the science is so so in the forefront of the movie that it's hard to follow because the science is over your head. Right. And that is not the case with this one. They really dumb it down to for a common audience, but it was just straight up boring. I, I, I really wanted to like this. This is a topic that I thought, oh, I'm, I'm going to really enjoy this. And there were a few little bits here and there that I thought, oh, this is kind of fascinating. And then they didn't go down that avenue. They, they sort of took a left turn and went somewhere else. I, again, it runs like an hour and a half. I watched about a half an hour and I just finally had to give up on it. It was not great. Wow. And it... it Sort of hurts me to say that about a documentary that's on a topic I thought I was going to enjoy, but Black Holes, The Edge of All We Know, I'm going to give that one two thumbs down. It was not great. It mm-hmm. wasn't as bad as the Blackout movie I just talked about, but it, mm-hmm. it wasn't great. And considering how long it was, yeah, don't don't carve that kind of time up. Uh, then I had a chance to start watching a, a series. I believe here in Canada we got it on Crave, but in the U.S. I believe it first aired on Vice. So they've done two seasons of this. It's 10 45-minute episodes and they've done two seasons. It's called Dark Side of the '90s, and hmm. what they do is they like they they you know just like the title says, they find an interesting topic from the '90s that had a little bit of controversy to it, and they do a little 45-minute documentary on it. And 
I had a chance to watch three of the episodes. I think one of them, one or two from season one and like one from season two. So the first one I watched was all about Arsenio Hall. And it was about his rise to fame, how he got his talk show, the influence and power that he had, what he did with it, and then the problems that he ran into and how he sort of fell from grace. I didn't know any of this stuff because when his show started, I was just like 13, 14 years old. So all I saw was the product that came on TV. I didn't really understand the larger ramifications, but it was fantastic. It was really fascinating. Uh, then the next one I watched was called Grunge and the Seattle Sound, and it was all about the birth of grunge music, but it was as told from like the producers uh, and, and like the people who put out those first indie albums that started grunge. So again, a slightly different perspective on a, on a topic that I thought I knew a lot about. And then the third one I watched was about the rise of black sitcoms in the 90s with the, the rise of the Fox TV network and how they um, they were trying to get um, programming for their new network and they realized if they put out sitcoms that that speak to a black audience they're going to have almost exclusive uh, um, black audiences that they can then market their products to and, and sell advertising to and uh, and again it was a huge hit it was like a renaissance for for uh, representation on tv and again fascinating and then some very poor business decisions that happened in the late 90s mostly by rich white people uh that just sort of screwed everything but uh yeah three fascinating documentaries i i can't wait to continue to watch this one it's again the series is called dark side of the 90s now there's 20 episodes out so far they're not all going to be gold like i saw one on there that was about baywatch you know what i couldn't give a crap about baywatch i'll still watch the episode because i'm sure there's things in there i'm going to learn about <laughs> <laughs> but there's a few other like there's one in there about the start of the ultimate fighting championship. Again, I don't know anything about that. Right. But I'm fascinated to watch it. So it's a lot of good stuff in there. I, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to sort of digging into that. And they're short. They're 45 minutes. So you can bang out a few of them in one sitting. Mm. And then the third uh, and final documentary I want to talk about a plus two thumbs up. Can't sit, talk about it highly enough. 45 minute documentary. I think it was on HBO. It's called 38 at the Garden. And it's about the basketball player Jimmy Lynn who when he was in his peak had lean sanity and it was like all his fame and stuff. And it was just about how this Asian American basketball player had all this diversity trying to break into the NBA. And then when he was finally given a shot, just blew people away. Nobody could really believe how good this guy was. People were like confused, like, Oh, where'd he come from? And, and because he had to follow a non-traditional path into the NBA and the title 38 at the garden is about, I think it was his fifth ever game. He played. Um, they went into the, the Madison square garden and um, they were playing against the Lakers, uh, Kobe Bryant in his prime. And here's this young kid, fifth game ever. He scores 38 points in the game. And like, I'm not a big basketball fan, but even I know that's a hell of a lot of points for one player in one game, especially when you're playing against what at the time was one of the absolute best basketball teams ever to, to, to suit up. So it's, it's, awesome and uh for our canadian listeners i didn't know this but jimmy lynn was on the toronto raptors when they won a championship a couple of years back so there's that connection too if you're just like well why would i care about this so uh it was fantastic 38 at the garden documentaries about 40 45 minutes and get on hbo or crave here in canada take a look it was awesome so a couple of really good ones this week house of games from 1987 two huge thumbs up 38 at the garden documentary two huge thumbs up so check those out very cool. My pop culture to share this week, it's somewhat related to our topic. We're doing movie monsters, so so check this out. Here's the thing. The, this podcast is obviously about how I only ever watch old stuff, right? 
you're always trying to convince me to expand my horizons. And, you know, you're like, oh, you never give newer things a chance. Well, sometimes I give in and I watch mm-hmm. some of the suggested or the trending things that are on Netflix. Totally out of my element, you know, I get. But uh, I, I try to watch some newer stuff when I can. So recently my wife and I were looking for something to watch. I go on Netflix and you know how they have like their top 10 list, you know, like yes. right on the homepage. Yeah. Well, the number one show I look is Dahmer, Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story. Now, the thing is, I'm old. So I remember back in the early 90s when all this was going on in the news. There was, there's like, there's this obsession, it seems, for people that like they're fascinated by serial killers, you know, and gruesome murders and all that kind of thing. I'm not like that. I'm not one of those people. I don't really find that the sort of stuff to be very fascinating. I find it to be creepy as hell. Yeah. So my wife and I see Dahmer's the number one show. And I'm like, I don't want to watch this. <laughs> it's going to creep me out. It's going to give me nightmares. And she's like, well, you know, it's just a show. It's number one. Like, it must be good. Let's give it a try. <laughs> you know? That doesn't mean that it must be good. <laughs> so, so she wants to give this thing a try. So Derek, I watched the first episode. That was it. And it was five days ago. I haven't slept since. <laughs> that gave me some serious nightmares, man. It was literally one of the creepiest things I've ever watched. And I just, I kept saying to my wife, like, oh man, I'm having these nightmares about being inside that apartment. You know, like it's all like dirty and there's blood and there's this barrel in the corner. You just know there's body parts in it. Like it's just, oh, Damn, man. I'm like, oh, freaked out. The whole thing is just so creepy. It's evil. And the fact that it was real just makes it all worse to me. You know, just just knowing that evil like this exists. Oh, man. Needless to say, I was back to watching Meatballs and Stripes for the rest of the week. (laughs) Just to bring myself back. So anyway, let's lighten things up a little bit with a joke. Here's your dad joke of the week. Since we're doing our top five movie monsters this week, I thought I'd do a related dad joke for you, Derek. Okay. So why was there no food left at the end of the monster party? Hmm. I don't know, Chris. Because everyone there was a goblin. They were that one. They were a That's goblin, Derek. That's they, not bad. That's not bad. They were a goblin. They were a goblin. Happy pandemicversary. Don't be ridiculous. Okay, well then, have I got a show for you? Oh yeah, because I watched that show so much. I can't wait for you. Oh, that's right up your alley. 30 bags of potato chips and 12 bottles of liquor. So this looks uh, like something that would be up my alley. I'm doing crappy. How you doing? You're like, I'm doing crappy too. I want it to end. I want them all to go to jail. Uh, we need to lock you up for telling that joke. Yeah, I think that would be best. Okay, so we thought with Halloween coming up and all that maybe we could do a topic this week that's somewhat related to Halloween. So we decided to do a top five list of our all-time favorite movie monsters. But one thing, before we get to our list, Eric, did you ever have a favorite Halloween costume from when you were a kid or even as an adult for that matter? Like maybe maybe give me two. Maybe give me your, like your favorite costume memory as a kid and your favorite Halloween costume memory as an adult. Do you ever dress up as an adult? No, I never dressed up no. as an adult. So, no. did you ever have anything as a kid that you wore? Like, that you oh remember? yeah, yeah. Like, give me my, favorites. Uh, yeah. Well, and these are neither one will come as any surprise. Uh, 
One that I really remember that I really liked was my mom made me a Batman costume. Shocking, I mm-hmm. know. Uh, and there are there there's photographic evidence. I have some pictures of me. I think I was probably five or six years old, uh, so I was pretty young. Um, and of course, I look adorable in my Batman costume. Uh, but the one that I remember, I don't really remember, remember, but the picture evidence is there is one year I went as the Incredible Hulk because as a little kid, I loved the TV show with Lou Ferrigno, the Incredible Hulk. And so uh, my mom had bought bought me like green leotards and like a green turtleneck. And then she bought like green face makeup. And so she made my face all green and my hands all green. But the rest of me, I had like the turtleneck and the and the, the like the, the the tights. And then she had like this dress shirt, old dress shirt of my dad. She had like all ripped up. And then uh, the purple nice. pants were all ripped. Yeah, no. And again, there's pictures of it. That would and be it's great. like this little kid, this little kid with the green face makeup just going. It's, it's a pretty funny picture. And I think I was probably four or five years old. So like, I think the Hulk one was before the Batman one. And uh, yeah, it was, those are the two that I, I, I re- like, I don't actually remember being in the costumes, but I remember the picture so vividly because they're constantly being shown. They, they seem to pop up every year. Oh, I remember these from when you were little. So yeah. Shocking. I know Derek went as superheroes as a little kid. <laughs> the one I remember from when I was a kid, I was Starbuck from Battlestar Galactica when I was eight. Nice. I, I love that costume. I used to love that show so much. Oh, my God. And as an adult, I once went to a party dressed up as J.C. Washington, which was a character I played on my old TV show. It was probably the most embarrassed my wife has ever been with me ever. Because <laughs> <laughs> not only did we do Funky Cops on Insult to Injury, but we did a pilot for Funky Cops. That's where J.C. Washington came from. It was this character that I created. And like we did this pilot for the show like it was it was actually shot and dailies actually exist out there somewhere but it was never finished and never released but the old footage from my insult to injury show it's available on youtube it's also on my imdb page. oh i know yeah <laughs> so <laughs> you can if you can see it on there but anyway so those are some memories i have of being a kid and adult dressing up halloween's always kind of like kind of fun and now that i've got kids they love dressing up for halloween and stuff so it's a big thing well and the thing that 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 i've noticed is when I was younger, a lot of families where, where in my neighborhood were, you know, the dad went to work and the mom stayed home. I mean, that certainly speaks to the privilege I grew up with. Mm-hmm. But the mom staying home, many of them took it upon themselves to really make Halloween costumes a big, important deal for the kids. And they most cases, the moms would literally make the costumes, whereas as I started to get a little bit older and things started to change and, and you know, two parent uh, incomes, both parents were working. The amount of time a parent could spend making their kid a costume went way downhill. And so you had a lot of kids that just ended up with like, you know, a plastic mask that that has an elastic band going around the back and yep. what is basically just a garbage bag with like something printed on the front of it. Mm-hmm. And hey, th- if that's what all you can afford or that, you know, I understand some people that's that's what you get. And it's still as a little kid, a costume's a costume. You don't care how good it is. But a- as I get older, I find I get a little more judgy and it's like, oh, man, look at these kids. Like no po- <laughs> parents put no effort into it or, you know, the kids I like in some cases, the kids clearly don't even want to be in the costumes. And it's just like, OK, well, like where do you draw that line? So anyway, I, I, I'm becoming Chris. I'm a grumpy old man. If your costume's not good enough, you're not getting no candy from my house. <laughs> 
Okay, so we wanted to go with our uh, top five movie monsters of all time. And so like we normally do when we do our top five list, we'll start with number five and we'll work our way up to number one and I'll let you kick things off. So your number five movie monster of all time, Derek, is take it away. So the number five movie monster on my list Mm -hmm. is the T-Rex from Jurassic Park from 1993. Good one. Now, I'll be honest. I wanted to find a dragon because, you know, Dungeons and Dragons nerd. Yep. Yeah. But I don't really feel we've had good dragon representation in the movies that I've seen. There are some of the newer movies you see dragon-like creatures in cartoons, or they're very clearly computer-generated mm-hmm. in a very fake-looking way. But I have yet to see a movie where I feel the dragon is like an important scary or or you know interesting monster of the movie. The now, one I know from the, remember that movie back in the '80s, Dragon Slayer. That I dragon was pretty cool. Heard of it, but never seen the movie. Oh man, you like dragon? You got to watch that movie. That yeah. that dragon was pretty cool. Yeah, and I mean, there have been movies with dragons, <laughs> but you know, that being aside, the Jurassic Park. It's basically it, well, not basically. It is a monster movie. It's a very right. high tech monster movie, and it's it, you know the story is based on a very uh, very famous book, very very uh, fun book to read, and it's all about you know the science and technology of making these dinosaurs come back to life. But at the end of the day, the dinosaurs start destroying things and people Eating are people. running, you yeah. know how this is basically the same formula you see from those cheesy fifties movies where it's like, Oh, the ants are as big as cars. Like it's, it's that same idea where the monster is out to get the people simply because they're, you know, they're mindless animal creature things. So the T-Rex being the pinnacle of what we see in the first Jurassic park movie, like, you know, there's so many pivotal scenes in this movie where the, the T-Rex comes out and it, you know, it's terrifying. You can just see the eye in the one scene where he comes up to the car, then they're chasing it. And then, uh, you know, it's just it's it's awesomeness. It's power. And, and again, you got to remember when Jurassic Park came out, this was the first time that the computer generated creatures looked this good and this real. Like people lost their minds when they saw this on the big screen. And I will rewatch. I would, I would argue it looks amazing. I would argue that CGI still hasn't caught up to Jurassic Park. It still looks better than stuff today. God, that movie looks good. Yeah, they really they really found that X factor. And I I think in part it's because, uh, you know, they they, it's like with the Toy Story movies in the first Toy Story movie. The technology limited them to to just animating the toys. But by the later Toy Story movies, they could animate like people and they could put other things in there that didn't look wrong. With the Jurassic Park, they just stuck to the dinosaurs. We're going to do computer generated dinosaurs and people think they know what dinosaurs are, but you saw them in this movie and they looked amazing. So my my number five movie monster is the T-Rex the Transaurus Rex from Jurassic Park, 1993. Hey, that, that's a good one. That's a great way to start off. Okay, my number five. I'm going with Audrey 2, which is the plant from The Little Shop of Horrors from 1986. I've mentioned this before, Derek. I love this movie a lot. The songs in it are great. The cast is great. I think the concept is great. But most of all, the plant is amazing. <laughs> and it starts out as this little thing that it looks like a cross between a Venus flytrap and an avocado. And it doesn't start out talking, right? It does this little sucking noise to let Seymour know that it's hungry. But once it starts drinking blood and then eventually, obviously it moves up to eating people whole, you know, it it starts talking and it starts singing. (laughs) One of the best descriptions that that I've ever heard in regard to Audrey 2's voice was this. Okay, so, and I quote, that of a street smart, funky, conniving villain 
rhythm and blues answer to Richard the Third. And that's from the original script by Howard Ashman wrote that. So, I mean, what other movie monster can be carnivorous? It eats people. It talks like a 70s stereotype. And it also belts out a song like Mean Green Mother from Outer Space, man. It's Audrey 2 is my number five. So, All right. Well, uh, I think that's a good segue. So the monster I'm choosing is also a singing monster. And this you can't do a countdown talking about monsters without going to the movie Monsters, Inc., Oh, yes. So not all monsters need to be scary. As we see in the cartoon Monsters, Inc. from Pixar from 2001, uh, you know, it features a, a cast almost exclusively of nothing but monsters. There's only one quote unquote real person in this, the little kid, and all the rest of the movie is monsters. So if I have to pick one, I, I think that it's uh, fair to say I'm going to go with Sully Sullivan, uh, voiced by John Goodman. He uh, represents in this movie. Um, uh, he's the, the you know the lead scarer in the in the Monsters Inc. Incorporation, where they're trying to frighten young children because the children's screams provide energy for the the, the town they live in. So it's like you want to be as scary as you can, and he's this you know giant six seven foot monster with horns and big claws, but of course he's light blue with with purple spots, and and he's you know a singing dancing monster. Uh, who sounds like John Goodman and um, you know he's he's lovable but at the same time he can be scary as we see in the movie and of course the whole plot revolves around him having to become the the caretaker of this little girl who accidentally wanders into the monster universe and so you know he's you know he's the monster with the heart of gold but uh, when he needs to be he can be big and fearsome and scary and uh, yeah you can't have a list with your favorite movie monsters and not have at least one from Monsters Inc so Mm -hmm. uh, if I have to pick just one and I can't pick the the duo of um, uh, Mike Wazowski and and Sully I'm gonna go with just Sully as my number four and wasn't the moral of the story that he was able to get more energy out of their laughter yes kids laughter and something was kind of nice yeah Okay, my number four. Okay, so you know me. I, I pretty much only watch old stuff. Yeah, that's obviously, we know that. Uh, but how, like, I'm not totally bereft of knowledge when it comes to anything after 1989. Just mostly bereft of knowledge, really. But there's a film from 2006 that I think, I've always thought this ranks up there as one, like, just a true cinematic masterpiece. Derek, have you ever seen Pan's Labyrinth? I saw it once when it premiered at the Toronto Film Festival. I've always felt that it was like this little girl that has this nightmarish life that she's living. And so she uses escapism to get away from the human monsters that are in her life. Yeah, the Nazis. Yeah, exactly. So she goes to this other world, you know, in her mind, she kind of like goes underneath her covers and just goes to this other world. But I mean, this other world is something else, too. I mean, there's so there's one scene in this movie. It's a dinner feast is going on and she approaches the table and there's like this weird humanoid creature that's like sitting at the head of the table. It's, he's all like smooth and pink and he doesn't have any eyes. And then you notice that there's like this set of eyeballs on the table and he picks them up and he puts like he puts them in his hands and then he puts his, the backs of his hands up to his face and then the eyes start to blink and that's how he sees He's called the Pale Man, apparently. And he's my number four. Like, he's freaking terrifying. If yeah, you have not seen this creepy. movie, like, even if you just look it up online and see it, it's, it'll throw you for a loop. Like, it is something else. I saw this in the theater when it came out back in 2006. 
This scene freaked me out. Like, it is one of the most visually interesting and scary monster movies that I have ever, ever seen. This would have taken such a, a hell of an imagination to come up with this whole thing. So this pale man, he not only scares the little girl, he scares the hell out of the audience. And I know because I was one of them <laughs> when it came out. So that's my number four, Pale Man from Pan's Labyrinth in 2006. What do you got for number three? Yeah, it's a good pickup. Yeah. Oh, it's um, scary. Yeah, so part of, part of my challenge with making this list was I was trying to avoid characters that were that had appeared in other things before being in a movie. So like there's a lot of comic book properties that have been turned into movies that have a lot of interesting characters and monster characters. Sure. Um, so speaking of Del Toro, like one of the ones, for example, is Hellboy, who is a very interesting monster oh, yeah, character. That's right. He but he first appeared in comic books. So again, I didn't want to put him on the list. And the reason I, I think of that is uh, it was the Hellboy movies were just on TV a couple of days ago. The the original two with uh, Ron Perlman as Hellboy. So mm-hmm. I think Hellboy is a great character, but uh, I, I, you know, I, I left him off the list. So instead, I'm going to go to the source of the greatest monsters ever, and that's Greek mythology. We're going to go to Clash of the Titans, and Ooh. I'm going to talk about the Kraken. Release Ooh, the Kraken! Yes. Unleash the Kraken! Yeah, not only do, not only is this, like, a great, you know, climax to the movie where you have the ultimate monster that's just going to, like, destroy the world kind of thing, but the fact that it's done in that old-school stock motion claymation style ray harryhausen really yep. yeah it's like oh. this real throwback to like this is how things were done for years and years and years and this was the absolute best top of the line technology that was available but it still worked and yeah there was some cheesy special effects in clash of the titans but but just this this idea of the the kraken as the ultimate bad guy the ultimate monster in this movie that's full of fantastic creatures you've got the medusa you've got calamus and that just like there's like giant like scorpion monsters that come out and it's just you know again this is all drawn from the classic greek myths and uh, you can't get a better story than something out of mythology that's been a part of our our history and our culture for thousands of years so you gotta you gotta respect Back to Kraken. So Kraken's my number three monster from Clash of the Titans, 1981. Very cool. And you get to say, unleash the Kraken. Yep, Uh What if I told you for my number three? Derek, what if I said that one of the all-time scariest movie monsters had a rather non-scary name, like Fluffy? So, okay. <laughs> I, I have always been a huge fan of of the movie Creep Show from 1982. I mean, you know, it's a collaboration between George A. Romero and Stephen King. I mean, come on. I mean, you know. So it's, I like also how it's, it's like this compilation of these like five short stories in one. And the thing is, it doesn't take itself too seriously. So it's got this whole kind of comic book feel to it. You've seen the Creep Show, have you? No, I never heard oh, of it. Oh God. I'm looking Derek. it up right now. Oh man. So you like comic books, right? The whole movie, it's like watching a comic book come to life, you know, and especially those old horror comic books. So there's a there's a a story in it with Stephen King. He actually acts and he plays this like simpleton farmer. And then even the birthday cake and the drowning stories, they're all played to be campy. Right. So you're watching this movie and like it's like scene after scene of like campy over the top stories. So then it gets to this short story called The Crate. 
And so, of course, you think, oh, here we go again. It'd be another campy kind of story, too. But it's not. It's really scary. So, especially in the scenes under the stairs. So, just a quick synopsis of what happens in this story. There's this professor, played by Hal Holbrook. And he's got this, for him, younger, sexy wife. She's really mean-spirited. And she's played by Adrian Barbeau. She was from Maud. She was Maud's daughter. Oh, she was also in uh, Swamp Thing and um, Escape from New York. Escape from New York. Yes, you had me watch here on the, for the yeah. podcast last year. Anyway, so he's got this nightmare of a wife. And so the professor gets called to the college late at night by this janitor one night. This janitor is like, hey, I found this crate here. What's going on with this crate? Well, it turns out inside this crate is this big gorilla-like creature that eats people. And when it attacks people, like it's really bloody and gory and gruesome. So the professor decides he's going to bring his wife down there and have her go in and, you know, to the crate so that it'll eat her too, right? And you don't even see the creature all that much. And then when you do, it's friggin' terrifying. Like it's got these teeth and it all. Oh, oh man, it's just, it looks like something straight out of hell. You know, I was always pretty easily scared by movies when I was younger. And I remember watching this one late at night, one night on the movie channel. And I, it was, it just scared the big Jesus out of me. I remember. And uh, they never mentioned the name Fluffy in the movie. I found it online that that's the name of it. But uh, I think they just referred to it as a creature or whatever, but man, it's it's scary. (laughs) And like I say, especially because they set it up being kind of campy, 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 scare the bejesus out of you and then it's back to being campy again after that so it was pretty cool so that's my number three so what do you got for your number two movie monster number two uh before we go to number two mm-hmm. i just want to say my when we put this list together I, uh, I also again i always try and restrict my picks a little bit to to sort of narrow the focus the easiest picks to make on this list would have been your traditional monsters vampire werewolf mummy frankenstein's monster yep i mean I stayed away from all of those, although for both werewolves and vampires, I probably could have put together a pretty interesting list. But because those those ideas, those those uh, archetypes have appeared in so many different movies, it would have been hard to sort of narrow it down to just one without addressing all of them. And then suddenly the show's three hours long. So I just stayed away from all of them. Yeah, me too. And I tried to limit this to movies that I actually have seen and enjoyed. And a lot of those movies that feature those kinds of monsters, I I just haven't seen enough of them to really speak Mm. to it. So anyway, we're going to go on to my number two pick. This is uh, a great movie. I can't remember. I don't think we've done this for the pod yet, but we will definitely be doing it in the not too distant future. Mm. And that is uh, from the movie The Thing from 1982, uh, directed by John Carpenter and starring uh, Kurt Russell. And my monster is literally The Thing, The Thing from Another World. That's a good one. Now, Chris, have you seen this movie before? So, yes and no. So, I I have, but I have. I've seen parts of it when I was younger, um, but I never, I've never actually sat down and watched the whole thing. Some things stand out to me. I remember this guy's head grew legs and was walking. It was really well done at the time. And I remember kind of the end when he's frozen. But other than that, I don't remember much about it. Like, so, I, I have not seen the whole thing. We got to watch it. So... He definitely, yeah, and I love mm-hmm. this movie, and it's just had, I think, its 40th anniversary recently. It's quite good. Um, so the the thing in question, it's this alien. They don't really give the specifics because the people in the movie don't really know. They're sort of making assumptions here that this alien spacecraft landed, crash-landed in Antarctica, you know, many, 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 many years in the past, and 
The researchers who accidentally stumble across this alien ship are dumb enough to warm it up. And they realize that once it's warmed up, the aliens that piloted the ship are alive and coming after them. Now, they don't know this at the beginning of the movie, and neither do we as the audience. They're sort of learning about it, and by the time they start to put the pieces together, they realize it's already too late, because this creature can emulate anything that it comes into contact with, any any living organism, and every cell of the monster it has its own instinct to live. So if you, as the example you said, a guy gets beheaded, the head still has the cells of the alien, and it can then still be autonomous and do whatever it wants and the body can change shape to do things and so it's this idea this horrific idea of um an alien that can look like your best friend so it really makes you question who's who and who can who is loyal and who is dangerous but it also uh, is terrifying that even something as simple as a few drops of blood can in theory grow out and try and kill you harm you or take you over and it's just it's this ultimate sort of body horror creature that that is originally will look just like a person and then once it's threatened and its true nature has been revealed it will transform into something grotesque and terrifying and uh yeah as uh, this is one of those movies i probably watched way too young because i had a mm-hmm. uh, you know again not a horror movie guy so seeing the few that i did see really stuck with me but this is a great movie great storytelling great pacing great characters and the, at the heart of it is the monster that the movie is named for, The Thing. And uh, it's my number two monster. And it's awesome. Make a note of that. We definitely got to watch that movie. Oh, yeah. And review it's it. on my list. I agree. Okay, my number two. I'm going with The Shark and Jaws from 1975. That's only your number two? I was sure that was your number one. Yeah, I know. I mean, we have rehashed Jaws a million times here on the podcast. And and for good reason, too. I mean, it's one of the greatest movies ever made. Um there's probably not too many more terrifying movie monsters than the shark in that movie. It's always the things that are real that can be the scariest. Like that awful Dahmer crap that I had got subjected to the other night. And the thing is, a shark is a real thing, right? It's something that's terrified people around the world forever. And, and it plays on people's fear of maybe we're not actually at the top of the food chain. You know, you just mentioned in the last, you were talking about the thing, the that instinct to live, you know, and like nothing has that greater than a shark, right? And the thing is, mostly because of like mechanical issues, the movie doesn't even let you see the shark for most of the movie, which just makes it more scary, obviously. And you know, that's well documented. But the first time that you, you really see the shark is when it's coming for the guy in the rowboat with the Boy Scouts. Remember, it's coming really slowly sideways under the water. That scene <laughs> scared the crap out of me as a seven-year-old kid when I first saw that movie. Man, that's even worse than Ben Gardner's head for me, you know? And I still think that Quint's death is one of the most horrifying things ever put on film. You know, we we throw the word iconic around a lot on this show, but I think that the shark in Jaws is the epitome of movie monsters. It's, it's probably one of the first ones that most people would mention, I think, if you took a poll. So, but for me, it's number two. Yeah. You know, you yeah. thought it would be number one. And, and well, I knew it would make your list for yeah. sure. And so but I just assumed number one. But I think I have an idea what your number one might be if that didn't make it. So mm-hmm. I want to just shout a quick honorable mention then because it's a good segue is one of the monsters that I considered but dismissed quite early was the, the creature from the movie Tremors. Because I basically oh, yeah. figured it was just a ripoff of the shark from Jaws, it, except instead of swimming through the water, it, it basically burrowed underground. Mm-hmm. And that same idea of 
you don't see the monster until very late in the movie. So you don't really know what it is. And the fact that it's some sort of either mutated burrowing, you know, worm or whatever it might be. Uh, it ultimately, it borrows very much from the things that had already been done in Jaws. So I thought, you know what, right. best case scenario, I'm just going to give that one an honorable mention. It did not make my list, but I did consider it briefly. All right. So on number, number one, one movie monster, Derek, is my number got? one movie monster. Yeah. And I don't think I'm alone with this one. I think a lot of people would mm -hmm. put this as their number one or definitely in their top three. And that is the alien from the movie alien. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yes. Um, I, I think they have become known as the xenomorphs. I think that's commonly what they're called to, to fans. Um, but just this, this, uh, you know, we did the first, we actually, we did alien and aliens back to back mm -hmm. as reviews on this podcast, uh, alien, the first one, definitely more of a horror thriller suspense kind of movie. And then all the alien movies that came after that became more action adventure shoot 'em ups. But, uh, the, the concept that this alien creature uh, you know, it, it starts by, you know, it's, it's, it has multiple forms and the first form it, it's, it's that face hugger thing that, that lays the egg in the human. And then it, it grows inside while it eats you into from the inside and then bursts out of your chest. And, and when it does that, it's obviously small. And then it very quickly grows and grows and grows and then becomes bigger than a person. And the fact that it has this long, very smooth head with no eyes. Yes. It's got the giant mouth with the sharp teeth that are always dripping. And then it's got the smaller mouth uh, inside where mm. you would normally think it has a tongue that like can shoot out. It has so like, stylistic. It's so terrifying. Yeah. And uh, you know, just the, the imagination of, of Geiger to, to create this, these creatures, it's like, it's unlike anything we had seen before stylistically, but as the movie progressed, it made sense like that when they're like, oh, it has acid for blood. And he's like, well, that's a great survival mechanism through evolution. You don't want to kill it or hurt it, because if you do, it's going to, you know, the, the acid blood will just eat through everyone around it, including if you're on a spaceship, the floor of the spaceship. And and that is used to great effect in all of the alien movies. The fact that the alien's blood is acidic. Um, but yeah. And then the fact that in the first movie anyway, the single alien that, that comes on board as an embryo inside of Ash ends up just hunting down the, the crew of the Nostromo one by one and just taking them out. And it's clear that this is not only is this like an alien creature, but it is a superior specimen to human beings like it is advanced through evolution or science or what have you to be the most perfect and deadly and scariest killing creature there ever was. And to go from the one terrifying alien in the first movie to a whole bunch of them in the second movie, just it's, you know, it turns the, the knob all the way up to 11. Uh, and this this idea of this terrifying alien has been a fan favorite for, you know, both for being super scary and super cool and super interesting. They've done tons of movies. They did, I think it was four alien movies. And then they came back and they did the Prometheus. And I think they've got two sequels on top of that. So they did the alien versus predator movies, predator, another movie that honorable mention didn't make my list. Um, but cool. But yeah. Yeah. But just this idea of a monster can be on its face, quite simple. Like again, the, the way this alien looks is although it's stylish, it's very simple. It's, it's, it's very minimal but it can still be terrifying. It can still be deadly and it can still make 
a lot of sense in the context of the story that it's taking place in. So the the alien, the the xenomorph alien from the alien movie, aliens, alien, alien franchise, absolutely my number one monster. No questions. I, mm-hmm. when you suggested the topic, this, this was my absolute came to mind first. I'm like, it's my number one. Let's find five more to, to tack onto the list. Yeah. That's a good pick for number one and, and not really surprising for you either. Like, I think that's right. Like you mentioned um, that the shark and jaws you thought would be on my number one. And, you know, being I'm the Gen X guy and everything, you know, like it does make sense. But I got to go with King Kong for number one. And I'm talking about the original film from 1933. I don't care about all the advancements in special effects. I've mentioned this before. CGI, all that junk. When it comes to Hollywood movie magic, there is nothing more spectacular than watching a giant ape climbing the Empire State Building in New York and then yep. fighting off these airplanes and eventually falling to his death. And the fact that the original King Kong was made almost a hundred years ago and the fact that it still holds up, it just goes to show you how monumental it is. Like Not just the film, but the, the whole concept. Like to me, that's what movie magic is, you know? And it's been remade a few times in 1978. Um, the one with Jeff Bridges and Jessica Lange, that was garbage. <laughs> it's terrible. And Peter Jackson remade it in 2004, but it was like, it was all miscast and it was kind of pointless. Yeah. To it was really long. It was yeah. unnecessarily long. It's like, hi, I just made three Lord of the Rings movies that made the company a ton of money. And they're like, okay, Peter, here's a blank check. Do whatever you want. And it's like, should have put a little oversight on them. But uh, yeah, it had, well, it had four promise, hour King but, Kong movie. You yeah, know? It, it had promise. But yeah, I think there was a lot of problems. Visually, some of the scenes with the with the ape looked great. But yeah, when you got that much money thrown at you, it had better look good. But when you don't have a decent movie to back it up, special effects aren't going to save a crappy movie. So and, and, you know, your number five, you were talking about Jurassic Park and the T-Rex. And as amazing as Jurassic Park was, really, if you take it down to its core, let's be honest. It's just King Kong with dinosaurs instead of a giant ape, you know? Yeah. And my son watches this show called Lego Masters or something like that. I don't know. And I was watching with them the other night and they have these people on that are like experts at building stuff out of Lego. And it was a a competition show. You know, you get eliminated or whatever. And they each had to recreate a classic movie scene. And the two that really stood out to me, there um, there were these two guys that built the scene from Jaws where the shark comes up onto the boat. And then the guys that won built King Kong up on the Empire State Building, swatting nice. in airplanes. And then the King Kong guys won. You know, I think when you're talking about classic films and iconic movie moments and just plain movie magic, King Kong's number one for me. So I, I had to go with that. So Yeah, no, that's a good pick. When yeah. you didn't pick Jaws as your number one, I figured you probably went classic. Yeah. I thought it was either going to be that or Godzilla. And I was like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I thought about Godzilla, but it's just because of all the campy but yeah. that, that all that being said, if you go back and watch the original from like 1954, the original Godzilla is quite good. It's quite, quite a good film, and it's it's quite a movie monster as well. It just didn't quite make my list because I like all this other stuff. So, all right. Anyway, on that note, let's have some fun with Caveman. You know, it's funny enough. I was putting together the the, the section, and I was just going to go with a simple round of monster movie trivia. I even had all the questions ready to go and everything. But the thing is, like, I'm thinking, like, this segment isn't called trivia. It's called fun with caveman, right? So instead of just straight up trivia, I I wanted to have a little bit more fun with you. 
Okay. So I'm going to go with an old reliable format. We've used this before. It's something that we like to call... Pick the Flick. Yeah, pick the flick. You get the synopsis, then pick the flick. You get the year, pick the flick. So here's the thing. My number two was Jaws, right? And since Jaws was this massive worldwide sensation back in 1975, it led to a whole bunch of, you know, pretty much (laughs) ripoffs, okay? And they were just basically Jaws with a different monster, okay? Okay. So like, like how they say die hard on a boat, die yes. hard on a plane. It was Jaws, but it did like Jaws yes. in a. Exactly. You did that with me a couple of weeks ago when we did die hard. You're right. Yeah. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the year and I'm going to give you the synopsis and you have to, you know, name the flick, you know, that's the I'm name gonna, of this. this I'm going to be so bad at these, but okay, let's, let's yeah. try it. No, but the common thread with all of these flicks is they're all Jaws ripoffs. Okay. Okay. So just, Jaws 2. No. <laughs> movies that ripped off Jaws. Okay, so I'm going to give you the year and the synopsis, and you just name the 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 title of the film. And keep in mind, they're all Jaws ripoffs. Okay, Jaws ripoffs. Okay. 1978, when flesh-eating fish are accidentally released into a summer resort's rivers, the guests become their next meal. Uh, was that uh, Piranha? One of my favorite films from the 70s. Yes. Who directed that? Uh, the original, was it Joe Dante? I think it was Wasn't Joe. it like a real fame? Oh, no, it was a Piranha 2 was directed by somebody really famous. Dr- Piranha 2, the spawning is where they fly, and that was directed by James Cameron. Right. Okay. I knew there was a famous director that yeah. was a, a, attached to that yeah. franchise. All right. So 1977, a hunter squares off against a killer whale seeking re- vengeance for the death of its mate. Did that have uh, John Voight in it? What Jaws ripoff was that? I think that movie was called Orca. It was, but it was with Richard Harris and Charlotte Ah, Rampton. okay. Okay? 1999. All right? A little bit more in your wheelhouse. Okay. Three people attempt to stop a gigantic crocodile who's terrorizing residents in Black Lake, Maine. Was that uh, starring Betty White? Was that Lake Placid? It was Lake Placid. Very good. Yeah. Okay. I remember that came on a video when I was working at Blockbuster. It was very popular. Also in 1999, searching for a cure for Alzheimer's disease. A group yep. of scientists on an isolated research facility become the prey as a trio of intelligent sharks fight back. Yeah. There was a great death scene in this one. It was uh, Deep Blue Sea. Is the death scene where uh, Samuel L. Jackson stands there and the shark comes out? Yeah. Obviously, right? In the middle of the movie, you're like, yeah. Samuel Jackson, he's like the second name on the poster. He yeah, just gets killed halfway through the movie. Exactly. You're like, oh my God, nobody saw that coming. All right, 1997, a National Geographic film crew is taken hostage by an insane hunter who forces them along on his quest to capture the world's largest and deadliest snake. Um... Oh, was that um, with J-Lo? Was that uh, Anaconda? Yes, that one it was. Had, that one had John Voight. That was John Voight. There we go. Yeah, I knew we'd get him in there sometime. All right. Uh, 2013, when a freak hurricane swamps Los Angeles, 
Nature's deadliest killer rules sea, land, and air as thousands of sharks terrorize the waterlogged populace. Was that uh, the classic Sharknado? Yes. All right, 1983. A friendly St. Bernard contracts rabies and conducts a reign of terror on a small American town. What Jaws uh, ripoff was that? That sounds like Cujo. It was. All right, 1990. Natives of a small, isolated town defend themselves against strange underground creatures, which are killing them one by one. Oh, is that the one I just mentioned? Was that Tremors? It was Tremors. I think- Sorry, I stepped on your trivia. Now you know how Yancey used to always feel when you <laughs> step on his trivia during the show. Exactly. <laughs> All right, so we got a couple more Jaws ripoffs for you here. Some yes. of these are beauties. Okay, 1980. A pet baby alligator is flushed down a toilet and survives in the city sewers. 12 years later, it grows to an enormous size thanks to a diet of discarded laboratory dogs injected with growth hormones. <laughs> now oh humans have entered the menu. Derek, what 1980 Jaws ripoff is this? Yeah, I, I've actually seen this. This was, uh, was it just called Gator? I'm sorry, it's called, it was called Alligator. 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 Was that a made-for-TV movie? No, I don't think it was. Uh, Gator was a Burt Reynolds, Burt Reynolds film from like right. 1974. Okay, that's why that didn't sound right. Yeah. I definitely seen that movie. Alligator. Okay. Alligator. 1976, an 18-foot-tall bear terrorizes a state park, leaving it up to a park ranger to save the day. What Jeez. Jaws ripoff was that? I have no idea. Was that, uh, what's, no idea. It's grizzly. Oh, grizzly. sure it was. I remember. I remember the, the bear swats and takes a whole horse's head right off in the middle of. Jeez, jeez. Oh, okay, 1978. A little coastal town is being terrorized by deadly barracudas. Was that not just called Barracuda? Sure was. It was called Barracuda. Nice. God, Jaws just got ripped off in so many. Ways. Oh yeah. Okay, 1981. Something or someone is attacking people one by one on the beach. Some of them are mutilated, but most of them are sucked into the sand, disappearing without a trace. Wow. What is that? I've never, I never heard of that. I don't know. Trapdoor spider. No, it was blood beach. Blood Beach. It was this creature under the ground and sucked them down and killed them. It was the first film in the double feature that I had mentioned a couple weeks ago when I went to see Kill and Kill Again, one of my favorite movies from the 80s. Okay, and the last one, 1977. A mutated giant octopus wreaks havoc on a California seaside community. Name the Jaws ripoff. Hmm. Uh, I'm going to assume they weren't very creative and they just called it octopus or killer octopus. No, it was called, it was called tentacles. Oh, of course. <laughs> that, that makes so much more sense. 
I remember that when that was on TV, watching it, thinking, "Oh my God, this sucks." I was like, <laughs> I was like ten years old, and man, this movie sucks, man. So, well, you did pretty good. You got a lot of the Jaws ripoffs, but it was just, it, it was a real thing there for a while, just a ripoff yep. Jaws. So, anyway, so yep. Derek, next no, time we get together, it's time for a a quote unquote newer movie. Um, so I always subject you to all this old Gen X pop culture around here. So. So, my friend, what, what's a movie that came out after 1989 that uh, you're going to force me to watch and come back here and review with you? All right. So, uh, this movie was just recently re-released in theaters because the sequel is coming out in about a month. I want you to go back and watch Avatar from 2009, James Cameron. It's been 13 years. Mm. I haven't seen this movie in at least a decade. I definitely saw it in the theaters, not in 3D. I definitely saw it two or three times on home theater when the when the DVD came out, and I don't think I've seen it since then. And I've wanted to watch this for a while, and knowing that the sequel's coming out, just I'm gonna watch this anyway. So I thought, you know what? Let's let's give it a go. Now it is long; it's uh, two hours and forty two minutes. So you know you may have to break it up over a couple of days. But uh, if it's, I remember really enjoying this movie. I'm hoping that, like we've said. James Cameron knows how to make a movie. Love him, hate him, you know, regardless of what his personal politics may be, uh, regardless of how he, uh, you know, treats personal relationships, he he knows how to make a movie. And uh, I'm looking forward to going back and rewatching this. So, Chris, have you ever seen the original Avatar? No. And the thing is, my kids are going to love you for this because a lot of times I'm like, you know, they're like, oh, what do you, what movie do you have to watch for the podcast this week, Daddy? And I'm like, oh, it's like, you know, Stripes or Meatballs or like Splash or whatever we've done. And so this one's going to be more in their wheelhouse. They're going to love it. So it is long, I guess. Two hours and 40 minutes, you said? Yeah. But, but uh, again, it. it's, it. it's from what I remember, I, like many movies this long, it's it's sort of broken up into, into like acts. So there's clear mm. divisions of the movie where it's like, okay, we've reached a point and, and you can sort of pause it or, or come back to it the next day. But, uh, yeah, I, I think... Uh, this I, is going to be interesting because that was like the number one grossing film for a while there. Yeah. You know, like it was it, James Cameron beating James Cameron yeah. when t- it took over from Titanic. So, Titanic. again, he he knows what he's doing. And this movie made a ton of money. So I'm looking forward to going back to it 13 years later to see, like, how do the special effects still hold up or not? And how are the performances and and who are, you know, uh, like a lot of it, obviously, is motion capture done to, to mm-hmm. represent these blue aliens. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to going back to see it. So we'll, yeah. we'll take it away. We'll watch it. We'll come back next week. We'll talk all about Avatar and. If we enjoy it, hopefully it'll motivate us to go see the sequel when it comes out here around Christmas time. True. It, he's hit and miss for me. Like, I mean, like, I mean, I thought Titanic was great. And then when I watched Aliens, I didn't like it that much. And I know everyone thinks I'm crazy for that. So this is going to be interesting. I'm looking forward to doing this. Should be good. All right. Cool. So next time back, we will watch Avatar. And we'll come back here and we will review that movie. But until we do that, I'm Chris McBrien. That's Derek Byers. And we're both saying thank you very much for taking time out of your day to listen to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show.